Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. John chapter 13, beginning at verse 31. When Judas was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. Good morning, John. Thank you very much for reading for us. Do keep your Bibles open and let's pray as we turn to God's word. We've just been singing, Lord, for ourselves in living power, remake us, self on the cross and Christ upon the throne. And so, Father, we do pray for that work of the Spirit in us, that we may live for you and not for ourselves. We pray this for your glory. Amen. Saying goodbye can be, uh, it can be tough. Imagine um, a parent saying goodbye to their young child for the first day of school at the school gates. It's hard for both the parent and the child as they head off into the big world of school. It's hard saying goodbye, isn't it? I remember when I was doing my A-levels, my parents had to rush back to the States quite urgently and they left me home alone for a few days. And um, I remember saying goodbye to them and, and it was hard. I was worried about having to cook for myself for a week and uh, they were worried about me cooking for myself uh, for a week. Goodbyes are hard. Lots of different goodbyes for us to make. Think of children leaving the nest, heading off to university or whatever is next. That's hard. Think of uh, good friends moving away. That's hard. Uh, think of uh, holidays, um, lovely, happy memories with family, friends coming to an end. That's hard. Of course, you don't need me to tell you that some goodbyes are almost too hard to bear. The sudden goodbyes, the the final goodbyes, goodbyes that leave us hurt and confused and broken. And as we turn to John 13, we are invited in to watch a goodbye taking place, and it is right up there with the hardest goodbyes ever recorded in human history. Verse 33, my children... 
This is Jesus speaking to his followers. It's a time of great tenderness and affection, perhaps better. My, my dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. This is a devastating goodbye. Uh, Peter, one of the followers, he, he just cannot take it in. Verse 36, Lord, where are you going? You can imagine Peter thinking that he's talking about a mission trip up north to Galilee. Oh, we'll, we'll come to, not a problem, we'll be there. But no, Peter doesn't understand. Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now. In other words, this is goodbye. And you can feel the pain, the confusion. Verse 37, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. I will do anything for you. What, why are you leaving us? We, we love you. We want to be with you. It makes no sense to Peter. He had put all his hopes and dreams into this relationship with his Lord Jesus, and now it seems to be over. And so as we watch this goodbye taking place, the big question for the disciples is this. Why can't they be with Jesus? And 2,000 years later, it is a question we are bound to ask ourselves. Many of us here this morning, we have put all our hopes and dreams for this life into our relationship with Jesus, and yet he is not here. We cannot see him. And there'll be many times when this world just feels so hard and so difficult without him around, and we wish if only we could see him and be with him. Where is he? Why can't we be with him? And that's our question this morning. Why can't we be with Jesus now? The Bible has some very important answers to that question, and we don't have time to look at them all this morning. But in John 13, I think we get two very important answers that will help us make sense of this goodbye. Why can't we be with Jesus now? Well, first of all, Jesus' departure reveals his glory. Remember, it's, it's Thursday evening. Tomorrow is Good Friday. It is the day that Jesus will die. And he's just been sharing a meal with his disciples. We looked at it last week. And remember, he, he took some bread and he, he handed it to, to one of the 12 Judas as an act of friendship, hospitality. And Judas took the bread and we were told he then left to betray Jesus. In other words, the very last events required for his death to take place, they're all falling into place. And so verse 31 picks up the story. When he was gone, that's Judas, gone to betray Jesus. And what he says next is remarkable. What do you think he says? Now is the son of man betrayed, let down? No, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And in verse 32, and he will glorify him at once. Jesus is talking about the events over the next couple of days. His death on Good Friday, his resurrection on Easter Sunday. And it is the moment when he is glorified. Tamar helped us, didn't she, just a moment ago, thinking about people's glory days. 
I was thinking about um, the team that I support, the Scottish rugby team. There haven't been many glory days for Scotland in the last 10 years. We've lost far more than we've won. But uh, if you speak to a Scotland supporter, they'll tell you, oh, the glory day back in 1990 when we won the Grand Slam. That's the last time we, we did well. And uh, if you ask a Scotland rugby fan, when was the most glorious moment for Scotland? They say, oh, the Grand Slam victory. That is when Scotland was most on top, most respected, most glorious. What about Jesus? Well, his glory day, the day when he was most able to display his awesome, glorious qualities. Which one would you go for? We have a number of options from John's Gospel. Back in John chapter 1, verse 3, we're told that Jesus has made everything. No one knows how many stars there are in the Milky Way galaxy. The conservative estimate, I think, is 100 billion stars in our galaxy. And when you think that, according to NASA, there are at least 2,000 billion galaxies in the universe, well, the mind just boggles at the number of stars, and Jesus made them all. Well, uh, just this week, I was walking the dog in the Mayfield Valley, and um, we walked past a field, and there next to us was a, a, a brand new lamb, just born, hardly able to stand on its feet, so vulnerable, cute, amazing, and just a few months ago, it hadn't existed at all, but here this living creature had arrived into the world, the, the miracle of life, and that's the world that Jesus made. It's, it's remarkable in its scope and in its intricate detail. But that is not the glory day that we have in front of us in John 13. Jesus, he fed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and some fish, healed a, a blind man, raised even a dead man back to life. All of these and more, yes, they are glorious. They are remarkable. But they aren't the same as the glory to be revealed. Verse 31, now is the Son of Man glorified. He's speaking about his betrayal and certain death on a cross. The title Son of Man is taken from the book of Daniel and the vision that he saw of this figure of great power and authority, a figure that all nations would come and worship. How is this great figure glorified? Well, we find here in John 13, it is in his final hour, dying on a cross. Jesus' departure reveals his glory. I wonder if some people think the cross is a bit like a car insurance policy. I think when I was younger, I thought this. You see, most days, most of us won't need our car insurance policy. It sort of sits there, perhaps in our glove compartment in the car. It's good to have one. We have to have one. Um, And just occasionally, once or twice here and there, we will need it when an accident occurs. And then we're very glad to have it. But any given day, it can just sit there unneeded, untouched, just in case. You see, I think often as Christians, we think, by and large, we've got life sorted. We're okay. Yet there will be a few slip-ups along the way, and it's brilliant to have the cross, isn't it? Because we can go back to the cross, and then we're forgiven for those slip-ups. But any given day, we're doing okay, aren't we? But in John 13... Our sin is not an occasional accident in an otherwise good life. Now, the the picture has been more like a person walking barefoot all day long through dusty streets. And as the dust covers and clings to the foot, so our sin daily covers and clings to us. 
our pride, our, our self-centeredness, our anger when we don't get what we want, our, our lack of love for others. And isn't this why the cross is so glorious? Jesus is the one truly perfect person. He has no blemish at all. He is completely clean. And yet, this perfect one, when he looks upon our sin, he doesn't turn away in disgust. But rather, he says, I can do something about it. And in this moment of glory, he steps in and dies on a cross, a condemned man dying in our place, taking our sins upon himself. I don't know what the, uh, the singing will be like in the new creation. I imagine it will be strong and fervent. But I do know that the volume of the multitudes gathered around the throne from every nation and tongue, I do know the volume of the singing will reach its deafening crescendo whenever we get to the verse about the cross. For it is the cross that most truly and gloriously reveals the glory of this great one, the Son of Man, Jesus himself. And so as hard as the goodbye is for these disciples, Jesus' departure reveals his glory, his loving, costly glory. And so here's a question for us this morning, perhaps one to talk about over coffee or just to think about later on. What are we doing to make sure that we remember this glory? You see, we, we, we cannot see Jesus, not with our physical eyes. We, we long for him but cannot see him. And I reckon that in this wait, in his absence, the danger is that all kinds of other narratives about Jesus come into our minds. We look for his glory elsewhere or we start to think he's not that glorious after all. Now, perhaps we think that our sin is too serious for him to deal with or that we don't even need his help. But it's as we come, perhaps daily, hourly, to fix our eyes on this glory moment, well, I think we are reminded of his love. We are able to push aside the wrong stories about Jesus and to see once again what an amazing savior we have. Why can't we be with Jesus now? Well, one answer is that he had to depart to show us his glory. But you might be thinking, well, yes, that's, that's true and wonderful and glorious, but it, it doesn't quite solve the problem for us here today. Yes, he had to leave for a while at some point to go to the cross and his resurrection and glory, but, but what about now? You see, it's been 2,000 years, and we'd love to see him, wouldn't we? Why is the delay so long? Why can't we be with Jesus now? And here's our second point. Jesus' departure means that we have a job to do. When my parents had to fly back to the States that time and I was left on my own for a few days, they gave me careful instructions about what to do while they were away, at the bins, at no parties, how to defrost a frozen meal, that kind of thing. But what about Jesus? You know, this is his final moments with his disciples Here's the chance he has to set them up for his departure and absence. What does he say at this most critical of moments in history as he departs? Well, he has just one thing to say to them, one instruction. It's there in verse 34. 
a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. You see, he's away. He'll be away sometime. And while he's away, we have a job to get on with. If you like, verse 34 is our marching orders. Things to be focusing on, prioritizing in his absence. Love each other. This is not a new idea. Back in the Old Testament, God told his people to love each other. But it is a new command in that we now have a new standard, a new pattern of love. Do you see the pattern? The bar has been raised. We are to love each other as Christ has loved us. You see, he's just about to die on a cross, his glory moment, where he shows us the full extent of his love. There's our pattern for love. The cross cost him everything. It was agony, it was brutal, it was selfless. And so here is our pattern for how we should live, following in his footsteps, loving as he loved. And if we love this way, look what happens. Verse 35. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. A few, week, a few weeks ago, I, along with a few others, had the chance to have a dinner with a man who was from a, another country a long way from here. Um, it's a country where it's very dangerous to be a Christian. I prefer not to say where it is this morning. But he was sharing with us um, how he became a Christian. And uh, growing up, he hadn't known any other Christians. He'd never heard about Jesus. He'd never read the Bible. And um, in his mid-twenties, he decided to take a, an evening class to help him with his career And um, during the the evening class, he got to know a teacher. And this teacher was just different from every other teacher he'd ever met. He had time for people. He was kind and gentle. He never lost his temper. He always remembered people's names and details. And this man sort of became friends with the teacher. They got to know each other well. And um, after a little while, the teacher said to the man, "Um, do you know do you want to come and meet some of my friends? And he said, okay. And he came and met some of this man's friends. And the man, as he went to meet the teacher and the friends, he was just blown away even more by the friendships that he saw in this little gathering. He didn't know what was going on. Of course, these were Christians. But as he watched his teacher and his friends just doing life and talking and sharing, the warmth, the tenderness, the the authenticity, he just was blown away even further. He'd never seen anything like it. And so when the teacher said to the man, do you know what? I would love to read the Bible with you and to introduce you to Jesus. The man said, okay. Because he had seen something real about the transformation in the life of the Christian teacher and his friends. And wonderfully, sometime later, this man did become a Christian. That's... John 13, verse 35. You see, the love that we are to have as Christians for each other, it is to be a totally different kind of love from what we find in the world around us. The uh, the world prizes love in some ways, but we are called to love like Jesus, sacrificially giving of ourselves. And it's as we love like that that the watching world will see something different about our love and our actions will 
validates and commends the truth of the message we must preach as well. Oh, people need to hear the, the message of Jesus, but our lives, our love, adorn the message. And so do you see, Jesus has gone, but he's left us with a job to do. And I think that is why he says to Peter in verse 36, you, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. He, he's talking about Peter's death And as far as we know, Peter was killed about 30 years after Jesus. But there was a 30-year gap between the resurrection of Jesus and Peter's death, as far as we know. Why the gap? Why the distance? Well, because of what happens in John 21. Peter has a job to do. Looking after the flock, loving the flock, shepherding the flock. It would have been lovely, wouldn't it, for Peter to have been whisked away to glory after the resurrection to be with Jesus but he had 30 years of loving to do first so that other men might know about Christ. Jesus' departure means we have a job to do. And so for us here this morning, it, it is right for us to long to be with Jesus. This goodbye that we are living in feels wrong and we long for it to be over. But we have been given today maybe a week, maybe a year, maybe a thousand years, because we have a job to do as we wait for this goodbye to be over. We, we long to be whisked away into the presence of God, do we not? And it's a wonderful longing to have, but our job is not yet done. We have more loving to do, more witnessing to the power of the cross to do to a world that's desperately in need of the glory of Christ There are 101 ways for us to spend our time. It can be totally overwhelming to know what we should do, what we should prioritize. Well, here are Jesus' marching orders for his people. As you wait, give yourself to loving others. What would verse 34 mean for us? Well, I think it would mean making people a priority. It's not easy to do. I, um, I love to make lists. I love the feeling of um, working down my list and crossing the jobs off one by one. Job done, job done. I love getting to the end of the day and looking at my list and seeing it all finished. I go home, everything complete. But when it comes to loving people, it's much harder to tick off the list. People are unpredictable. They are messy. They surprise you. Um, You don't finish people. It's a relationship. And to love people well means living with the messiness. Um, I wonder if it means not getting so focused on meetings and programs and structures that we have no time left for the messiness of people. Uh, Here at Forward, uh, we're busy. I'm sure we all feel busy here. I'm sure we serve in lots of ways. It is easy for myself and others, I think, to be sucked into busyness and forget we should be focused on people. May we be known here at Forward, not for being a busy church, or, or even, dare I say it, for being a, a Bible-teaching church, but may we be known first and foremost for being a loving church. And um, I think, There are many, many people here doing this brilliantly. It's wonderful to see. 
There are people here loving in all kinds of ways, hidden ways, public ways, sacrificial ways, um, cooking dinners, caring, calling, looking out for people. And I want to say to you, keep going. This is a brilliant way to exhaust yourself as we wait for Christ to return. Often loving doesn't feel very productive. Often we don't get much thanks back. It can be tiring and we wonder, is this the right way to spend my time? Yes, keep going, thank you. And thank you for modeling to me how, what it means to love. I do think also for us at Forward, it means, I think we're tempted to keep our relationships superficial. And I think it's partly because we're worried about what will happen if we get to know people too well. You know, if we open up the story of someone's life too much, suddenly we discover brokenness and, and hard things. And uh, we're a bit scared about what happened if we actually get that close to someone. So we sort of hold back ourselves. And so I wonder, to love people, would it mean being willing to get to know people well enough to be welcomed into their hurt and brokenness and messiness? Verse 34, it's a real challenge. Let's be a church family that runs towards pain and hurt rather than away from it. Isn't that what Christ did for us when he came to the cross to carry our sin? I don't know what it means. It may be caring for someone who's not well and it's gonna be a long time just caring for them day in, day out. Maybe it's a friend who's struggling with something profound in their life and it's, just, it's not gonna be an easy friendship. In the evening, we've been thinking about um, issues of sexuality in a confused culture, and in many ways, we're broken sexually. We've talked about um, singleness and and various issues around that. Being a a genuine church family, loving those who are lonely, will be sacrificial at times. But please don't mishear me. In a church this size, and um, throughout today, there'll be maybe around about 1,000 people who cross the, the doors of this building it would be impossible for us to try to love everyone. It would just overwhelm us in a couple of seconds. And so let's not beat ourselves up about the people we can't love. I'm not saying that we should go around loving everyone here. That's just impossible. But I do wonder if from today we can think about one or two people that we can really love or just go on loving. Uh, Perhaps... If we're stuck for ideas, we could focus on our small group. Our small group is a great place in a large church to focus in on a a bunch of people, maybe 10 or 12, and to commit to loving them. And if we come to small group in order to love, that does change the dynamic, doesn't it? It's not so much about us coming to be loved or to be cared for or to be noticed, but we're coming to care for and notice others. What a wonderful thing if that's how everyone came, wanting to love each other, choosing to come even though we're busy because it's loving to be there to support others. We cannot love a thousand, but perhaps we could love ten. Jesus' departure means we have a job to do. And so here's another question for us this morning. Where does loving other people fit into our priorities and our diaries? There's one for us to go away and think about perhaps during this week. But as we finish, um, one commentator put it this way, (laughs) the command to love is simple enough for a toddler to grasp in a few seconds. But it's 
profound enough and big enough to embarrass even the most mature Christian. And um, as we look at the standard that we are being called to, well, each of us are love failures, aren't we? We don't love like that. We are full of good intentions, perhaps, but often with little follow-through. But isn't that what Peter is like? You see, look, he says, verse 37, Lord, why can't I follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Brilliant intention, easy on a Thursday night, lying on a couch surrounded by friends. But do you see how his good intention is like a vapor on a sunny day, gone the next morning when he's surrounded by a hostile crowd. His good intentions didn't lead to very much, did it? And so often I think our good intentions to follow Christ and to love like Christ, we have them, but so often they don't end up being worked out in practice. And so come and marvel as we finish once again at the glory of the cross, for it was precisely for people like Peter and like us, people who failed to meet our own standards, let alone God's standards, people like us. That is why Jesus willingly went to the cross because we are not perfect and he died in our place. And I think when we begin to realize that Jesus loves us in such a glorious and extraordinary way, then, then just slowly, gradually, something extraordinary happens. His, his love for us comes and occupies our hearts and as it does so, it begins to give us a capacity to love others that we never had before. Let's pray. Father, we do confess this morning that it is hard to be apart from your son. We do long to be with him. We long for him to put our world to rights, to end all suffering and brokenness. Father, we thank you for the glory of the cross where our sin has been once and for all taken away. And we do pray that you'd help us as we wait to be people of the cross who follow uh, this remarkable example, cracking on with the job you've given us to love and to point people back to the great cross of our salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.